Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back and for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. And actually it is, it's it's two man traditional podcast today. Pierre Lebrun joining from, you're in Toronto now, right? Pierre, not Muskoka, where, where are you at? I like to know geographically. I, I, I am, yeah, I, I am back in Toronto for the first time in 10 weeks. Uh, but uh, there'll be a few trips up north still. We're, we're in that transition phase right now. I know it's, it feels weird, right? It's almost well, we're we're closing in on Labor Day. It feels in this wacky world, that's a that's a weird thing. And one of the great treats on Two Man Advantage, Pierre. I know you share my sentiments. Is to welcome back a good friend to the show, Hall of Fame. GM Jim Rutherford of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Jim, thank you for coming to hang out with us today. Yeah, it's always good to be with you guys. Two longtime friends of mine. Well, that's that's very kind, Jim. And listen, and just like uh, if you want to break any news right now off the top of the show, if you've got a trade to announce, you've got something you want to share with uh, Pierre and I, I, I leave the floor is yours. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing just yet. <laughs> you, you, you made the first trade of the off season, uh, an off season that will be like really any that we like none that we've ever experienced, right, Jim? I mean, it's it's so hard to predict exactly how this is going to play out. But you know, why did you feel important to maybe get ahead of the curve last week with the Kapanen deal, and and you know, and not, and not wait to longer into the off season? Well, when you really like a player and you have the chance to get somebody, you don't wait. And uh, we we feel Kapanen's a really good fit for the Penguins. He plays our style. He brings speed to our team. It's speed's what we've had success with in the past. And he's a young guy. You know, I don't I don't like giving up uh, first round picks, despite the fact that I've given up most of them since I've been in Pittsburgh. But. <laughs> but uh, in this case, you know, we're, we're getting a young guy and, and our window to contend is still here in the next couple of years. And if we were using our pick at 15, that player probably is not going to play in Pittsburgh for, for a few years. So we felt it was important to try to stay in the mix here. We're in a, you know, we're in a league that there's a lot of parity and a real tough division and, the Metropolitan Division, so we we have to strengthen our team when we can. I wonder, Jim, how important it was to acquire not just a young player like Asperi Kapanen, but but a player you know very well. You drafted him twenty second overall back in fourteen. What was that? Did that add to the comfort of uh, of giving up a lot for a, a young player like that? The fact that you knew him and had scouted him, and you know had had he'd been briefly part of your organization. Well, this is a player I've known since he was born because his father <laughs> right. played for me. So I've, I've known this player all his life, but that wasn't the most important part. It was more of the fact that, that he was, that he is still young. He's team controlled for four years and, uh, and he plays the style of play that we like to play. We, we have always seemed to be one player short in our top six for the last few years. And by adding him, we feel that we've got a guy that can really completes our top six. Now, obviously, you're not done. Uh, I saw your comments uh, after the trade that there's more work to be done. Uh, and in particular, you've been pretty uh, open, Jim, about uh, 
the likelihood of trading one of your two young goalies. Um, what what's you know how are those conversations been like when you could? I mean, we know that there are teams that need an upgrade in goal, and on the other hand, those teams might also have a shot at at some UFA goalies uh, in October. So how how do you counteract the fact that you're you're trying to get something back for one of these two kids? versus teams that may just be able to sign a guy for nothing? Well, I think that uh, that our goalies are as good or better than those goalies, and the big difference, these guys are in their mid-20s compared to the UFAs are going to be in their 30s. And, uh, and you know, if you, if you just look at the one goalie that will make the most amount of money in Matt Murray, mm-hmm. um, He's won two Stanley Cups. It's kind of a similar situation to where we were in when we had to move Flurry out for cap reasons, and you know we're caught in the same situation. My preference is to keep both of them, but unless something out of the ordinary comes, where there's trades and other positions, then we're going to have to move one. At, at this point in time, I have a couple of offers on the table. They're not at the level that that uh, would acquire. Uh, one of our goalies at this point, but there's certainly enough interest that I feel confident that something will happen at some point. Jim, you, mm. you talk about believing that the window is still open, and when you have a core that includes Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, both guys headed to the Hall of Fame whenever they're done, and of course Chris Letang on the back end. I know a little bit of news, uh, Sidney Crosby undergoing uh, successful arthroscopic wrist surgery. Uh, a debridement surgery. I'm reading from the press release here. I don't, and uh, but it sounds like a very short window for his recovery. But I'm just wondering what you, when you sit back and you assess, okay, what you know, what is the the probability that this team can still be a Stanley Cup contender? What gives you optimism that that window is is still open? Like you, obviously, you believe that it is. Well, our core guys have, have done it, and they know know what it takes. And, uh, you know, if we have that determination, desire to win again, we have good enough players to do it. But there's, there's X factors as far as winning the Stanley Cup and being successful, and, and it's goaltending. And if you, you could have the best team, but you, you still have to have that playoff-type goaltending. And, and we feel that whatever goalie we keep, that, that we have a guy that we can go on a run with. But... Uh, like I said, that the goaltending makes such a difference. If uh, if you don't get it, you're not you're not going to have a chance. And if you do get it, you we still have the players that can win. Jim, I don't know if you want to uh, you know add some clarity to this question because I get asked this question a lot by other people, and they always ask me, "Is there any chance that you would ever listen on Evgeny Malkin?" Um, you, you could also tell me to go fly a kite because it's none of my business, but. <laughs> We know that uh, Malkin has a full no move, so he, him and his agent would have a huge say in his future anyway. But is that something you'd like to put to bed? Or, or you know, is it one of those things where it depends on who calls? <laughs> well, Gino had a, a terrific year this year. You know, he came in in, in great shape and in a, in a great mood. And he was the MVP of our team in the regular season. And he he's still got a lot of hockey left in him. So uh, I think the best way to answer the question is I'm, I'm not shopping him. I'm not shopping our core players. Um, but we all know that in our game that, that you know, 
one of the greatest players, if not the greatest player uh, in our league, in Gretzky, he was traded. So mm -hmm. you you want to always listen if somebody's got something to offer. But I'm not uh, not in a hurry and not trying to uh, to trade any of those top guys. Yeah, Jim, I'm I'm curious about how you approached the 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 decompression or the debriefing after uh, losing in four games to Montreal. I mean, obviously the dynamics of the play-in round and playing in the bubble in Toronto are are completely unique. And and I wondered if you had to approach it differently when you sat down and said, "Okay, how am I going to unpack?" Obviously, it was disappointing to lose to Montreal, but I wonder if, if your approach was different because the circumstances were so unique or whether you approach it the same way every year when the team is done. No, our team was well prepared. I mean, our players come back probably earlier than any players as as a large group of guys, and, and they worked hard, and our coaches had them well prepared. But, you know, unfortunately, two years in a row, we ran into – two goalies that were terrific and uh and, but the thing that bothered me the most about the two years is after probably being the the better team in the first two games against the islanders and then against montreal this year um it didn't go our way and we didn't have that same fight in us as as the series wound down that same determination or or the same fight win at all costs uh, right to the very end and and that that was that was a little troubling for me but you know it's what I said earlier you get in the playoffs and it's goaltending and and Leonard last year with the Islanders he he was the difference and this year when Price is on his game he's the best there is in the game and he was on his game and and made a big difference in the series well it's interesting I mentioned this on the podcast last week Jim that I had an executive tell me that you know, maybe we all need to be careful not to overreact to disappointing results in the bubble and also not to overreact to a surprising run in the bubble that that perhaps the bubble is so unique that you got to be careful. But I guess what you're saying, and I know you said this the day that you had your big news conference, is that this isn't just about the bubble, that you're, you're taking a step back and looking at two playoff performances in a row, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the, our team this year, the regular season, we, we had a very good season because we dealt with injuries and adversity and, and we were playing at an over 600, uh, clip. And, and I think we were like seventh in the league when the, when the league stopped. So our, our team played pretty well. We felt that we were starting to come out of a little bit of a slump and still had a run at first place. We were only four be, points behind Washington. So, so that part I felt good about felt good about that we you know we had a good team uh, but the problem was it wasn't just looking at this unique situation of playing in the bubble which I think some players just didn't want to take the time to stay there we had some players like that maybe a handful of them but what I looked at was the two years in a row and what happened when we got in a series and it didn't go our way and we didn't have the same fight in us to to stick with it right through to the end. Even if we had have lost, even if the results were the same, we didn't have that same push at the end, which meant that uh, 
as an organization, we talked and, and we felt we had to make some changes. Jim, one of the some of the changes that you made include uh, moving on from three assistant coaches, and I'm sure that was not a an easy uh, decision to make on your part. But I wonder if that goes to what you're talking about the you know the the drive for the players and maybe having new voices along with Mike Sullivan behind the bench or on that coaching staff. And I wonder how important it is you know to to fill those positions with people who may be able to, whether it's communication or uh, getting players fired up or getting the most of them, how important are those hires for you moving forward? Well, they're important. And it may be just as simple as one or two new ideas that, that really, um, that really work for a team. But, you know, like you're right. I mean, I feel bad about the assistant coach we had. We had very good chemistry within our coaching staff and, and Jock Martin and Mark Recchi and, and Sergey Gonchar. They're very good people and, and very good hockey people. But as an organization, we talked about it. And we felt a change to maybe bring in um, some new ideas. We don't have to change the whole structure and the whole thing of what Mike Sullivan's doing because for the most part it's worked, but it didn't work at the end. And does that mean some new ideas in certain areas of our team or maybe different voices uh, for, for the players to hear from and in ways and how we go about our business? Um, we're hoping that, that that makes a difference. I find it fascinating, Jim, too, that, uh, and I know that, you're not here to talk about other teams, but but the 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 parallels between your team and the Capitals uh, for all kinds of reasons. You know, the, all the all the winning they've done, and and they're trying to keep their window open, and they've made a coaching change. And a lot of what Brian McClellan said at his news conference is has some s- similar layers to what you talk about. Uh, you know, in terms of the window, but also in terms of the new voice. And so it. You know, I, I I do find it fascinating just because Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby have been tied to the hip since the day they came into the league. But both those franchises have been really the model of excellence for a long time. And they're both trying to, you know, to, to stay in that mix. Uh, I wondered if you'd thought about that at all. Well, I have, you know, like I, I watch all the games now and I, I've, I've really enjoyed the games. But, you know, watching Washington when they when they were getting eliminated. To me, there were a lot of similarities. They they didn't have the same juice. They didn't have the same drive as when they were winning, when they were losing that series. And it, it reminded me of our team. It, lo- it looked the same. And, you know, you wonder, like, like guys, and this is not the same for all our guys because Sid, he's going he's gonna to drive and mm-hmm. give it all he's got right through to, you know, win as many cups as he can. But... You wonder about guys like, like you win two, three cups and you have a great legacy already. And, you know, do you, you still want to win again, but do you have that same drive as when you were trying to win the first one and the second one and the third one? And, uh, you know, I sit there and wonder sometime. And with that being said, we have a lot of guys that are, are still really good players and, and are capable of doing it, but but it's hard to maintain it. I mean, you can go through every sport and every great athlete and, mm-hmm. and look at how many times they won championships. It's, it's 
it's hard to win. It's hard to win one. It's hard to win multiple, but you start getting up in that area of trying to win your fourth or fifth cup. It's uh, it, it makes you wonder. I'm curious, Jim, you mentioned Sidney Crosby and I'm wondering if your relationship with him has evolved and, you know, you win back to back cups. And I wonder, especially if you, you know, when you approach after two disappointing seasons, like, do you, do you talk to him about the kinds of decisions that you've made already since uh, the end of that series against Montreal, whether it's the coaching staff or the acquisition of cap and then the, you know, the search for a new group to help Mike Sullivan, how involved is Sidney Crosby? How do you want him to be involved? Does he want to be involved? I'm, I'm curious how that works given how critical he is to, you know, since the moment he walked through the door in Pittsburgh. The majority of the communication with players including Sid goes through Mike Sullivan. He's the guy that works with him on a day-to-day basis. And any information he has that, that's going to be helpful to me, Mike Sullivan shares it with me and vice versa. But with that being said, I have a very good relationship with Sid. I do talk to him periodically. There are, there are times when I feel it's important that I either share something with him or or may want to ask him a question about something that he may uh, be able to help me with. But like I said, the mo- the majority of the communication goes through the coach. Great. Well, good stuff, Jim. And um, boy, what, what an interesting few weeks we have ahead of us, I think. Uh, might be one of the busiest off-seasons in a long, long time for, for forcible reasons with the frozen cap and everything else. But it's going to be fascinating. Well, we're going to be in an off season that's that's very short. That everything's going to happen quick. You're not you're not sitting waiting and waiting to see what's going to happen uh, because once the the Stanley Cup's awarded, um, everything's going to happen really quick. Do you, mm-hmm. Do you like that idea, Jim? That it's that there will be a certain compression. Um, you know, whenever things get done, I assume it's still going to be in Edmonton when they award the cup. But, you know, from that point on that it is going to happen very quickly. Do you like that idea? Uh, does it change how you sort of prepare and get ready for first the draft and then free agency coming right on the heels of that in, in October? No, I like the idea because this way people have to make decisions yeah, and they can't sit around thinking about it over and over and when I'm ready to do something, I'm ready to do it today. So I, I much prefer that we're doing it on a quicker basis. Very good. Good stuff. Jim Rutherford, always a pleasure to come and hang out with you. And thanks so much for you know spending some time on a Tuesday morning with Pierre and I. You know that anytime you want to, just call you. We'll always make room for you on our podcast. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. I enjoy talking to you all the time. Good stuff. All right. Take care, Great. Jim. Thanks, Jim. Yeah. Take care. Pierre, always a treasure to chat with uh, the Hall of Famer, Jim Rutherford. And uh, interesting things that, uh, that, that he had to share with us. We are going to unpack some of that, but we're going to take a break first. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this. Our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The Premium Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology. 
which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toning Spray. Both super practical, and they smell great too. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. The cooling boxer briefs might be one of my favorite parts of the collection. Boxer briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology while keeping your pride and joy supported. So, get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. Pierre, that, I thought at the very end that Jim Jim sort of reveals his true nature, right? Like he likes to get things done. He's he's okay with a short window of an off season before hopefully training camp and the start of the twenty twenty one season. But that's sort of been that's who Jim is, right? I mean, to me, that's one of the great things about uh, you know watching him do the work he's done in Pittsburgh, uh, of course marked by back-to-back Stanley Cups in 16 and 17. Uh, you know, that's 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 who he is. Do, do you think I'm off base on that? No, and traditionally, uh, he's been uh, the GM that has tried to get ahead of the trade deadline way before everyone else. He's tried to make a, a deal at least a month out, many years, sometimes a couple weeks out. Not always doable, obviously, but that's been his trade card, is to be aggressive that way because he wants those players to have time to adjust um, there is a lot to unpack here. I, 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 I don't want to overstate this, but he did not slam down the Evgeny Malkin question. So take that for what it is. I mean, again, Evgeny Malkin has a full no move and his future's in his own hands, really, right? But I do find it interesting that you know, that uh, while he made it clear he's not shopping Evgeny Malkin, has no intention of shopping him, that he's not going to put his phone on mute either uh, in terms of other teams' phone. So uh, you know, that has to be one of the takeaways, even if we have, you know, I don't want to over-dramatize it. Um, but it also ties into another comment that he made later when we compared the, the Washington and Pittsburgh situation, Scotty, where while not naming any players in particular, Jim did talk about he thinks about whether some of the guys that have done a lot of winning are still at the same hunger level. And it leads me to think that he's thinking about that a lot in terms of potential changes. So who knows? I mean, easier said than done in a frozen cap environment, but I do think there's certainly some hints in there. I thought anyway. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And, and, and again, Jim is, is always very candid and that was, that is too desultory performances by that Penguins team in, in, in the playoffs. And I I know the dynamics in the, the bubble and the play-in round against Montreal, best of five, it's different. But I, I think along the same lines that Jim Rutherford apparently believes that that's two years in a row where you wondered where that that passion and the drive uh, to, to win was, was against lesser teams, at least lesser teams on paper, where where that was. And I, I thought it was interesting because I felt the exact same thing watching, watching the Capitals and the Islanders 
in, in the first round of the playoffs. And the Capitals just did not have – they just didn't have it. And mm-hmm. and that's why Brian McClellan made the coaching change there, which, of course, you know, I mean, it's interesting because Todd Reardon was in Pittsburgh, did a, a, a marvelous job in Pittsburgh – um, as the defensive coach there, went to Washington, helped to redefine the defensive uh, culture with Barry Trotz that ultimately led to the Stanley Cup win in 18. And now, you know, it'll be interesting to see where Todd Reardon ends up because I think he'll be highly sought after as an assistant coach if he doesn't find a head coaching job right away. But it's, it is about trying to find, okay, where, where do you find that motivation when you've won to, to get back to it? And you're right. It's 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 a little bit of a nebulous thing. Yeah, and and certainly from a factual point of view, a, a little a little uh, news nugget from Jim Rutherford saying that he has trade offers on the table for uh, one of his two goalies, but not anything that at this point he finds good enough. But that is interesting. So it confirms what we had heard that those conversations are happening with other teams, and, and I know that publicly. Jim keeps saying that it could be either goalie, but from talking to other teams, it seems clear that Matt Murray is the focus here uh, in terms of the, the trade discussions. Well, it's and that's a that's a good way to sort of go to a, a topic that you've covered in the pages of the Athletic, and you and I have chatted about the goaltending market is going to be fascinating because of the number of uh, unrestricted free agent goaltenders who could hit the market. Whether it's a Robin Leonard that uh, Jim mentioned, Jacob Markstrom, Braden Holpe, you go down the list. But and I wonder how you how you think this is going to play into it in terms of the marketability of a guy like. Matt Murray, who is younger than those players, right? He, and, of course, he's won two Stanley Cups, but I'm just looking it up now to see here. So Matt Murray is 26 years old. That is a that is not an insignificant thing when you are looking at guys who most of those uh, free agent goaltenders that we've talked about, that the high-end ones are, you know, 28, 29, 30, you know, into their early 30s. How big a difference do you think that makes, that, that age difference when you're a team looking at what should I do with my number one goaltender? Well, I mean, I think I'd rather have, I'd rather sign a 28-year-old Jacob Markstrom or a 29-year-old uh, Robin Leonard for without having to give up an asset rather than having to give up an asset to get a 26-year-old Matt Murray, to be fair. For sure. Uh, but those are probably the only two UFA goalies where I would say that. I think everyone else is a bit older and has more question marks and I would put them behind Matt Murray. And that's probably what Jim Rutherford is facing right now in terms of his market is, you know, are there teams that have interest in Matt Murray, but would like to get a crack at Markstrom and or Leonard before they circle back to Pittsburgh again. Right. I think that's probably perhaps some of the holding pattern. Although the fact that he's got offers on the table suggests that maybe there are teams ready to act, but only, for a modest sum and obviously not good enough for Jim Rutherford right now. And you can't blame him for that. But don't forget that Matt Murray is also an RFA with Arbright's. And I think that people look at his $3.75 million. Sorry, Jacob Markstrom's 30 years old, not 28, by the way. Right. But yeah. but um, if you're acquiring uh, Matt Murray, you have to understand that if he brings himself to Arb, A, he's going to raise a salary to 5 or $6 million. But he could, but with a one-year ARP case, he, he could also walk himself to UFA. So those are considerations, it, if and when Matt Murray is dealt, that the team acquiring him probably wouldn't want to work out, would want to work out a multi-year deal and not go through the ARP process with him. 
Right, exactly. It, it's fascinating, and, and of course, you're physically now back in Toronto, and I think you know it's interesting. And I, you and I talked about this, and lo- lots of people did in the wake of that Kasperi Kapanen deal uh, between Pittsburgh and Toronto. There were a lot of people who wondered if uh, if a goaltender, and specifically Matt Murray, might be part of that package. And of course, there now is a cottage industry, as there often is uh, with things uh, related to the lease. What what will happen with Frederick Anderson, who has mm-hmm. one year left on his deal at $5 million. He has a modified no-trade clause. Um, and going into his final year, I'm sure that there are lots of questions being asked organizationally. Is Frederick Anderson the guy beyond next season? And that's the, that's the complicating thing for... For any teams that are, you know, that have goaltenders on expiring contracts mm-hmm. and you wondering if he's the guy to get them over the hump. And I wonder how you think this all plays into it with the whole discussion now with Frederick Anderson and his long-term future and whether it's with the Leafs or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I do know from talking to other teams that the Leafs are willing to listen on him. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't in the end, mean they would move him. I, mean, I think Cal Dubas is, is a modern thinker, and I think that, you know, the idea that you, know, that you can't lose a player for nothing in a year of free agency, it's not nothing. I mean, especially for teams like the Leafs who are always at the cap. I mean, if they keep Freddie Anderson for another year and, and try to finally break through in the playoffs and then he walks away next summer in UFA, it's not nothing. They get cap space, right? I mean, yep. so I do think there are teams that are comfortable with that idea. But having said that, you know, and the last time I checked with a source close to Anderson, there had not been any indication of wanting to talk extension, at least not yet. So if the Leafs aren't interested in having that discussion, um, you know, where does that put things? And and so I think it really depends on, on, you know, what teams have to offer. And here's the thing. I don't really understand... You know, let's let's just take the Calgary Flames for an example. The Flames have goaltending decisions coming, right? Um, it, they also happen to be the team that were runners-up on Freddie Anderson years ago when Anaheim put him up for auction and, and traded him to Toronto. Uh, Brad Treeling took a real hard... I wrote about this, I think, a year or two later, but Calgary went really hard after Freddie Anderson. Yep. And I think in the end, Bob Murray and Anaheim looked at the two offers and felt that, hey, rather have him in the East than the West, which, of course, makes <laughs> right. sense. Uh, but... You know, does Brad Truly rekindle an interest in uh, in Freddie Anderson, or does he say to himself, "Well, why am I trading for a guy that could walk away in a year? Here I go again," um, as opposed to you know trading for a Matt Murray or signing a UFA goalie to a multi-year deal and securing that position if you're Brad Tree Living. Now you could also extend Anderson, I guess, as part of a deal, but. And and Brad Treliving and um, Kyle Lewis have a bit of a history. They they were trying to complete an Azam Kadri trade last summer, as you remember, and there were multiple parts in that deal. And it uh, obviously fell through because Kadri wouldn't wait to go to Calgary. But again, I, I like to always remember those things and file them away. That there are guys, if you know that GMs have gone that far in those types of situations, it means they're willing to do so again. Now some some GMs just have a better fit when they talk than others. And so we know that those two teams have, have tried before. What's I mean, it is so fascinating, Pierre, just to see, you know, not just the Leafs, but how these teams that are trying to plan for whatever happens in 2021, but also beyond that, uh, vis-a-vis the goaltending, it, it, it's going to be 
it's going to be an incredible offseason, I think, in terms of the goaltending market, which you you wrote about. And I'm not quite done with goaltending, though. And we're going to take one final break, and we'll come back for some final thoughts. But I'm going to carry our goaltending theme into a discussion of some absolutely wacky stuff going on in Edmonton with that Colorado-Dallas series. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Pierre, I'm not, I'm not sure what you made of all of what has gone on. Uh, and it really sort of starts from the goaltending in that Colorado-Dallas series. Of course, the series uh, now going to a sixth game after uh, Colorado staved off elimination with a 6-3 victory on uh, Monday evening. But, of course, starting goaltenders Ben Bishop and Philip Grubauer have been persona non grata, really, for most of this series. Um uh, Pavel Francouz unable to play. In comes Michael Hutchinson for the Colorado Avalanche, uh, backed up by Hunter Miska. I, get, I admit I had to look that up. No idea. But anyway, he ends up backing up for the Avs. And shocker for the Stars, Ben Bishop appears almost out of nowhere to get the start in Game 5 and wasn't great. Gave up four goals on 19 shots in exactly 13 43 of ice time in the first period. Um, that's That series is, it, I, it was already a little bit off the charts, but now the whole goaltending thing is, um, it, it makes this even wackier. I wonder what you made of all that. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, they really miss Grubauer in Colorado. And, um, you know, just overall, this setup was going to test goaltending, right? Because Exactly. Because the players want to get out of the bubble as soon as possible, you've got this crazy compressed schedule, uh, again, which everyone has signed off on, but it's going to test your either your <laughs> the health of your top goalie or the depth of your goaltending. So, uh, you know, Anton Huboden had been the unexpected starter throughout these playoffs for Dallas with Ben Bishop's, you know, ben Bishop being absent until now. Uh, you know, Yero Halak, the unexpected starter in Boston after Tugaras went home. Um, now you got the Colorado situation, all of which is to say this, that there is no team, no team that is better set up to weather this compressed schedule slash, you know, how many goalies do you trust scenario than the Vegas Golden Knights? I mean, yes, it's been a controversy, <laughs> but at the end of the day, the fact that they can go to either Robin Leonard or Marc-Andre Fleury on a whim is an unbelievable edge, I think, right now that no other team has. And all of which is even more reason why the Tampa Bay Lightning needed to finish off the Boston Bruins in five games, I think, if for no other reason to give Andre Vasilevsky a breather, which he'll get now, which is huge for the Tampa Bay Lightning because yeah. uh, there's you know, obviously the drop-off is significant there if he can't go. Yeah, no, I and you're absolutely right. And it, it is, you know, it is going to be, I've just been fascinated not just with uh, you know, the goaltenders who've been given opportunities. We saw Brian Elliott the other night for Philadelphia, you know, giving a rest on a back-to-back situation for Carter Hart. And, um, and of course, that Colorado-Dallas series, it'll be fascinating just to see when the dust clears for Game 6 on Wednesday evening, just who is able to go. And and there you are absolutely right on with that, Vegas, uh, with uh, Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard this this tournament and its setup is really made for them. And and kudos to Kelly McCrimmon because I didn't really, like I understood why Robin Leonard was acquired at the trade deadline from Chicago. And I thought I felt Vegas probably should have made a similar move a year ago 
to give Marc Andre Fleury a, a bit of a breather, uh, to you know to to build up some some depth and goal there. But I'm not sure Kelly McCrimmon had any idea just how fortuitous that move was going to be um, when we look at this setup now. Yeah, and I should mention, while I do like Vegas' goaltending the most, I, let's not forget the New York Islanders. I mean, Thomas Grice was unbelievable the other night. Good point. Uh, and, you know, obviously Varlamov uh, has had a good run as well, so they're pretty well set up too. But again, I think most people would take a, a Leonard Fleury tandem uh, uh, slight edge over, over Grice and Varlamov. But again, that's the Islanders feel pretty good about their goaltending too, and you know, I, listen, if Vegas ends up winning the Cup, I wrote this this week, I, I look back at some of the trades at the trade deadline and how usually we all agree how overrated the trade deadline actually is and doesn't usually impact the Stanley Cup winner, right? This could be a different year. I mean, if Vegas wins the Cup, how is the Leonard deal not the trade of the year? I mean, <laughs> like, I, you know, and if the Islanders win the Cup, is the Pajot deal the deal, deal of the year? But my point is, it's interesting. We've had a number of trade deadlines and where you don't really look back and say that, that that was a game changer for the Stanley Cup. The Blues didn't do anything last year, basically. They picked up Michael Delzato as a depth piece. The Capitals added Michael Kempney two years ago as a depth piece. He ended up being a little more important than that. But my point is, it's interesting to me that, you know, we've been kind of downgrading the significance of the trade line for a number of years. But boy, boy, if, if Vegas wins the Cup, they added Alec Martinez, a top four defenseman, and Robin Leonard, and now with the compressed schedule and needing goalie depth, wow, that, that is some kind of trade deadline perhaps for Kelly McCrimmon and the Golden Knights. Yeah, and you and I talked, I think, last week about the work that Julian Breezebois did with Tampa, not just at the deadline, but uh, obviously uh, going back to last offseason and how different that team is and now getting uh, resting up and licking their wounds, uh, waiting the winner of the Islander Philly series. But I, I, before we close, Pierre, I, I, I must admit, I felt maybe I always feel this way, a little bit sad at the end of a series and you feel bad for the team that has to go home. And I, I felt especially bad at the end of double overtime in game five in that Tampa Boston series. I, I thought Yarrow Halak had just, you know, in an in a such a difficult situation coming in uh, with Tuka Rask deciding to go home. I thought he played very well throughout that series uh, against Carolina. I don't think you can fault him for the way the series against Tampa turned out. That series was compelling, all kinds of emotion. And in that deciding game, two deflections and a, and a great screen by Pat Maroon on Victor Hedman's game winner. Um, but it does feel... Like there's that was sort of a moment in time for that Boston team. It, it it's going to be hard for them to keep Tory Krug, forty three year old Zdeno Chara has no contract now. Who knows with the uncertainty of of twenty twenty one looming? Does he come back? Um, you know what's what's the future hold for Tuka Rask, who's got another year left on his deal? I don't know if you felt the same way, but it just felt to me like wow, we that. That Bruin team has that uh, might look completely different when we see them next time. Yeah, they may have to, depending on some of those decisions, have to rejig things around their younger core based around Marshawn and, and Pasternak and McAvoy, and that's okay. Uh, I mean, listen, we just had Jim Rutherford on our podcast today. The, the the real good franchises keep retooling and keep trying to stay in the mix, and that's what the Bruins are going to have to do. But. You know, we're not just talking about talent here. If you lose a guy like Chera, we're talking about a leadership void that is gigantic. And who knows how long Bergeron is. I know he's signed past 
this year, but I've always had this suspicion with him because of his injury past that I'm, I wasn't always sure he'd want to play out his contract. So we'll see what he decides to do. Um, but yeah, it, it could be a bit of a changing in the guard there. And, th- and that's why they've kind of, if you're the Bruins, really through new, no fault of Don Sweeney's or anything else, because he's assembled these terrific teams with really good cap management, but you kind of whiffed here at, at some really good chances between the last couple of years, right? Um, game seven loss at home, you know, just one win short. It's hard to criticize them. But, and then of course this year, best team in the league in the regular season by far, really. And the pause was, was not good for them, right? They, they, they didn't quite come back with the same mojo. So it's a tough pill, I think, today if you're a Boston Bruins fan. Yeah, no question. All right, my friend, as always, a fine effort by you and always great to catch up. And uh, if you're a fan of two-man advantage, and who isn't, frankly, we will be back uh, Wednesday morning to unpack all that unfolds in the 24 hours or so between. And every morning until the end of the week, we'll be doing our daily two-man advantage podcast updates and if you're in podcast mode you want to listen to Aaron Portsline and Allison Lucan uh, front and nationwide podcast about the Columbus Blue Jackets every week same with Mark Antoine Mark Antoine Godin and Arpon Basu who cover the Montreal Canadiens for us on their fine podcast athletic support you should check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic App. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show's URL, theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. And we'll see you tomorrow morning. And Pierre, have a grand day, my friend. Right on, right on. Right on.